Hi everybody, I'm Molly Herford. And I'm Peter Glassford. And this is the Consummate Athlete Podcast. So, what have we been up to this week to sort of become those consummate athletes? Well, we have been spending a lot of time doing strength and conditioning at the gym, actually. We've been uh, at the local gym here as Active Life Conditioning. I'm fortunate enough to get to work there periodically when we're back, whether that's doing bike testing or strength uh, and conditioning classes or in a little one-on-one work, whether that's with cyclists or just people trying to get really fit um, for whatever challenges they're going to meet. So That was us this week. So we've been convincing Molly to come in, and she's been trying some of the strength and conditioning classes in there. and. Uh, Turns yeah. out they're really brutal. Um, lots and lots of chin-ups the one day. That, that sort of hurt. We've I was been pretty putting mad. Big push at the gym this past month. May was all about chin-ups. So we had everyone working on grip strength and some of the stuff we were talking about with Leslie Timms was sort of relevant to that. And uh, just getting used to hanging, which I think a lot of us, especially anyone from sort of a cycling background or running background, we don't get those arms overhead. So just trying to include a lot of those movements that you know a human should be able to do but a lot of us you know computer ridden bike ridden um people aren't aren't doing a lot so the gym is a great place you know, if you can find a good community where you know it's very social we have a good time listen to some tunes um and everyone sort of works through whatever you know limits they have um and at whatever level they have in terms of the weights and stuff so a nice responsible gym environment but exposing to all sorts of different challenges with the different modalities and stuff they have at active life conditioning yeah and for me it's been pretty it's been pretty sweet kind of returning to the gym i definitely went through a bit of a a gym rat period back in college when gyms were easily accessible and free for me uh and i just wanted to keep training all of the time so i would lift heavy lift light just do whatever but it's sort of been interesting uh having a structure which i think is probably paying off i guess (laughs) yeah so we've had molly and will go in sort of as a couple and do a little workout together focus more on sort of max strength stuff so just gradually every week trying to bump up what molly's doing and we've been focusing front squat so that she's also working on uh shoulder mobility and um you know sort of lowering risk a little bit uh, versus a back squat but we'll get there um, but certainly just trying to get those shoulders working really well and then sort of the athletic nature of that front squat which we can then progress into olympic lifting if we want um, she actually used that to move a large table today i saw her using her front rack position which isn't it sounded really sexy it's not sexual at all but yeah, so just using that gym work and progressing. So we've had Molly's been in once or twice a week doing sort of more of a max strength workout, and then we'll do more of a conditioning workout, which is more just circuits and stuff with uh, the Active Life Push Your Pace class. Yeah, which has actually netted me several several new friends, which is really exciting. I'd also like to just point out that it's it's not like I can only squat 15 pounds. I, I'm reasonably reasonably strong, but I think we're we're trying to make all of that even better and stronger um i basically want to be a superhero so we're working on it Hmm. also leslie currently has the record for 27 chin-ups and i'm coming for her yeah yeah she's pretty strong (laughs) so anyhow that leads us into today's episode um we were fortunate enough that sarah applegarth who is actually the owner and uh operator and also a trainer in the the active life conditioning gym here in collingwood was willing to join us and talk about um 
some youth training stuff, how she stays fit as a busy mom and business owner and personal trainer, which usually just being a personal trainer alone sort of derails your own fitness because you're so always in the gym and you know sort of end up overtraining and stuff. But she's been managed to stay a really fit lady while raising two really healthy, active, awesome kids and uh, has a business here in Collingwood that's you know competitive in the very competitive uh, gym business industry in town uh, fitness industry um, so yeah she's a really interesting lady really smart masters in youth um, and youth development uh, growth and development type background um, registered kinesiologist uh, strength and conditioning specialist she's got tons of different certifications and interests but lots of cool stuff that she's doing in the gym whether that's training one-on-one -on -one with clients or training you know world-class athletes um, who are skiing and you know on the World Cup series to you know local you know some of the local big business owners so she's got a ton of experience and shares some really practical takeaways for us you know how to stay healthy while we're busy parents or you know busy business owners or, or whatever this is a really action-packed I think really intense episode and I wish we could have talked to her for a couple hours but she's so busy she carved away just about a uh, 45 50 minutes for us so jam-packed um, if you like it please let us know and uh, we'll try and get her back on yeah enjoy the show guys welcome to back to the consummate athlete podcast we're here with sarah applegarth today we're at her gym active life conditioning in collingwood ontario and today we're going to talk to sarah a bit about owning a business and being a mom and you know running all this stuff and then staying fit and then also getting some tips on how we can you know be fit and ready for anything uh, as consummate athletes um, we'll get into a little bit about kids and how we can keep our kids running around and being healthy, um, growing up strong. Um, so there'll be lots here today. So why don't we start with Sarah just giving us a brief background of what you've done uh, athletically, especially um, in your life so far. Okay. So thanks, Peter. Um, I played most sports when I was a kid. Um, team sports was sort of my thing, soccer, volleyball, uh, played ice hockey uh, growing up and played soccer at a fairly high level right through until I got to university and I actually fractured my leg my first year of university at the national championships for soccer which made me miss my whole first university hockey season which is what I went to school for was to obviously be education but to play ice hockey uh, at the University of Guelph. So I then played five years there um, we won OWIA championships there, and uh, I also played in the National Women's Hockey League for the Mississauga Ice Bears when they very first started that league, and I played there for, I think, three years, and uh, we went to a national championship for, for that team. Uh, I guess formerly it was the Mississauga uh, Chiefs, and then it turned into the Ice Bears. We were sponsored by Mercedes, and you got to drive a Mercedes if you were the player of the week, and that kind of stuff. So that was sort of where my, uh, sort of as I was younger, and now it's evolved into mountain biking, um, play a lot of beach volleyball and tennis and, uh, uh, you know, whatever's, whatever's on the go. Okay. Awesome. I didn't know that you were, I knew you played hockey, but I didn't know at such a high level. I, mean, I knew it was high level, but that's, mm -hmm. that's awesome. So now that was your five years. Did that include your master's then? No. No, that was just my undergrad. I did a minor in nutritional sciences during those five years, so that was why I did the extra year at Guelph. And then, you could basically play more. Yeah, you could so, play another year, yeah. exactly. Well, because you also 
Did you have to give? Oh, you have five. Yeah, or you did back then. I'm not sure how it works now, but uh, <laughs> you're probably right. Yeah, and women's hockey was not a CIA CIS sport then. It was just Ontario's was the highest you could go for women's hockey. Okay. So now there's a national championships, but okay. I'm showing my age with that stat. Um, so no, I went on and did my masters at Mac, but I didn't do that. I, I was done. I was out of school for five years. And I was working for Alpine Ontario as their exercise physiologist for Alpine skiers. Um, I, I ended up blowing my knee playing soccer, blew my ACL. And so I decided now's a good time to go get my master's. So I was commuting from Collingwood to Mac to do my master's. Wow. And I did it part-time. Um, my focus was adolescent uh, exercise physiology. And so focus on... Um, sort of pediatric and adolescent muscle and bone. Uh, my, my advisor was Joe Blinky, who was a specialist in, in youth and pediatric stuff, and he had done a lot of strength training studies on kids, and that's what piqued my interest in him. And I ended up, it took me four years to get it part-time because I was working, but I also had both my kids during that time that I did my master's. Okay, I was so going to ask where hairy, did the kids come in because yeah. you're getting focused on adolescence. Yeah, now. it was a hairy uh, few years doing the master's. That's awesome. Having both kids. I think my daughter was three weeks old when I went up to get my diploma up on stage. So Graham had to have her in the baby Bjorn while I went up to, to get it. So, yeah. Awesome. Did you meet Graham through skiing then? Tree planting. Okay. Yeah, we tree planted for three years up, at university up, up north in... Uh, uh, we were near Thunder Bay for a couple of years and then oh, near Sudbury for a year. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any records? I feel like people who tree plant always have like, yeah, I was the top planter. I was not the top planter, <laughs> but I made decent money. Okay. Yeah. I married one of the top planters. Okay. Top there you tricks. go. <laughs> tricks. Yeah. Were the, it wasn't like throwing the trees into the forest. No, 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 no. It was the speed tricks. How to, how to right. efficient motion, minimize your Yeah. I've never done it like up north, obviously, but the talking to people, I have one good friend, one of the guys I lived with in university did it, like you same like you, like three, four years. And like, same thing, like he talked about how like you it had to be really, really good at it, right? right? And just how physical it was. It always sounded like an interesting way to spend the summer. Like a sport. It's like yeah. a sport. You time yourself. Like I, I like time. Yeah. Time yourself for how quick you can get that load of trees in and then how fast you can run back to get the next load in and you're trying yeah. like, so you motivate, because you can't motivate yourself by money when you're working 10 hours a day in the like 100 degrees, bugs everywhere. Yeah. It's got to be like, like, like a game, focus. game yeah. or sport out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, a, it's mental for sure. Huh. Interesting. So soccer sounds really dangerous. <laughs> like, or, so your two most major injuries have come from soccer? Because um, your first one was... Oh, yeah, actually. Your yeah. One, first one in first year was also from soccer. Yeah, it was. Wow. Um, I, you know, you got no gear on. People are slide tackling. It's the cutting, it's, right? It's like, the cutting. Yeah. You got cleats on that raise you up above the ground. Yeah. And you're cutting and twisting. And it's a great game, though. It yeah. really is. Yeah. I never had much exposure to it and definitely, like... They say, I guess this is related to the adolescent stuff too, like I feel, I had a really good steeping in like hockey and baseball and, and obviously riding, but the soccer stuff, like definitely like coordination of the feet and agility, like you've seen me attempt agility ladders and stuff, like I feel like definitely I miss that critical window. Yeah, it's a, it's an important skill I think for kids, the yeah. coordinating things, yeah. I'm feel coaching like... uh, my daughter's soccer team right now, so they're uh, nine and ten year olds. Yeah. And last night I spent the whole night. I had groups come through to me to learn how to kick a ball and to watch the different levels of coordination of how to plant your foot 
and then swing your leg. And some kids can't swing their leg through even still. Really? So we're breaking down that skill and trying to teach that those mechanics to them. The and actual now, kicking motion, or is it like single leg stance that's challenging? Oh, well, some. With, there was girls falling over. Yeah. Like trying to learn like to coordinate, and I was having them think. So they were doing some. Like you'd think it would come naturally. Yeah. No, and you see that, I mean, I do, like, throwing just with the big med balls against the wall, and, like, I try, like, a baseball throw, basically, but with, like, a heavy ball, mm-hmm. and then getting people to use their opposite side, it's just interesting to see, like, A, can you throw with your good side like you're throwing a baseball, and the answer is no for a lot of people, No, definitely and then the not. minute you go to wrong hand, it's just, you know, feet are not even moving on the ground anymore, yeah. and, yeah. Well, and the window of opportunity for that skill is before the age of 12. Right. So your central nervous system becomes fully mature at the age of 12, give or take, depending yeah, on sure. when they go through their growth spurt. But it, you, can, you can actually optimize right, left, kick, throw, all yeah. that stuff prior to the age of 12. Once you hit 12, you can still improve it, but you can't optimize that skill. So whatever your genetic potential is, yeah. you've got to try and pull that out before the age of 12, which leads into one of your questions you're going to ask me later. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, whatever. Um, yeah, why don't we, we'll dig into the kids stuff um, a little later too, but because that'll be super interesting, I think. Um, so looking, you know, we got into it there with the, the new athletes. You had a bunch of new soccer players um, coming, sorry, it was soccer, right? Soccer last night. Um, so let's say, you know, maybe we'll do, why don't we focus more on the kids even? Um, when you have these newer athletes coming into the gym, what are you looking for then? you know, the first time. Let's take more of a gym focus versus the soccer focus, but you have them, they're all athletes mm-hmm. at some level. Um, so like, what are you doing as far as assessment? Yeah, so, I mean, the number one thing I look for is listening skills. Like, I know you're, that's not what you were expecting 100% is part of it, yeah. Listening skills. So kids that can't listen, can't learn, right? Right away, they're, they're at a deficit and you're going to have a hard time with them. You can tell right away who's going to listen and who's not. The ones that listen, we just had our active lifer of the month this past month, Mm -hmm. is a a kid who's a grade five student who didn't even do track and field last year because he was so uncoordinated and uncomfortable. And he, his number one skill is listening. And he, over the last year, has turned into a machine. He won almost every event at the school track and field meet, went on to the areas, want a whole bunch of stuff at the areas it gives me goosebumps actually to talk about it because so he's learned the coordination and how to work with his body and all that stuff he's a pretty big kid but he's also become more a more confident individual right so that stuff carries you through and he life. was he was at that same sort of age you're talking about around that 12 sort yeah, of he would be he would be 10 10 right. 11 yeah okay. So yeah, absolutely. so listening now that would lead into being coachable too, because I mean exactly. I could listen and then just decide I'm smarter. Absolutely, that, right? yeah. yeah. Typically, kids at that age aren't there yet. Right. At those younger ages, um, you know, we were working with the provincial ski team and the provincial snowboard team here as well, and a AAA hockey organization, and so you do maybe get some of those kids that are competing at a higher level that may have that sort of right. not coachability, but for the most part, I think a lot of them want to get better. And they recognize that we know what we're doing here, and so they're willing to listen. Right. So um, on top of that, uh, the other things that I'm looking for, sort of more physically, is that they have all the physical literacy skills. So we do uh, multi-directional jumping tests that we call the hex, and so we're looking at the ability to to stabilize their body while their legs are moving in different directions, and that 
transfers into pretty much any sport. Right. Um, we're looking at the ability, like a thing like a pen jump, which is five standing long jumps linked together. And a lot of people can't do that. A lot of people can't, you know, propel their body weight and land in a coordinated fashion, ankle, knee, hip, flexion, mm -hmm. extension, and with the balance and all the other stuff that comes with right. it, they can't, they can't coordinate all those things. So looking at where there's deficits and then trying to build up those deficits. Right. As I mentioned, if you're older than 12, it's harder, but they can still improve those things for right. sure. Um, we always do a, an alignment check. So we do sort of a, whether it's an in-depth functional movement screen type idea with one of our therapists. And we've kind of designed our own version of that here right. that hits sort of all the different joints to look at, you know, is it optimum range of motion and, and um, stability at those joints for whatever, any sport really. Or we sometimes just do a quick snapshot of maybe two or three things that, that I can look at in, the, in sort of our initial assessment of these athletes. Right. So can they do an overhead squat with a dowel over their head or a hockey stick over their head and, and sequence their body up and down the way it's meant to move without breaks in that, you know? Do they have the range of motion at their ankles to be able to dorsiflex enough, which means bringing your toe towards your shin, enough to get down into a proper squat. Right. If, if an athlete cannot do a proper overhead squat, I know that there's some issues that we have to deal with before we're gonna be able to optimize anything right. else. It seems to be one that a lot of people use as a basic screen, some sort of squatting. It motion. shows you a lot of things yeah. in like, you know, a minute, yeah. 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah, definitely with the older athletes that come in through a lot of the classes and stuff, like that's what you'll see is, you know, basically like to quarter squat level maybe, you know, without some sort of major compensation to get there. Well, typically the males, you'll see there's there's a lack of mobility. And for the females, it'll be a lack of stability. So valgus, knees collapsing in, um, you know, ankles collapsing, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's just hormones, right? The guys mm -hmm. tighten up and the girls, they... And maybe just them. tendency towards certain, certain sports, certain, certain well, movements. Same even. sports even, yeah. right? You're looking at male-female hockey players, male-female right. skiers. It's, there's, the guys are typically stiff and yeah. the girls are more lax. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember what it was, but like someone did like a look at the functional movement screen and basically like the key ones for guys was like the straight leg raise and then mm -hmm. maybe it was the inline lunge and the straight leg raise, but the straight leg raise, at least for a mobility standpoint, was like very indicative for yeah. a male. And then for females, basically it was like not nearly as indicative. And yeah. then I think it was maybe the like planking, uh, what's that, like... Uh, yeah, what is that called? Opposites, yeah. yeah. Like it's the stability basically in quadruped, and I think that was maybe it, or maybe it was more the overhead one. But anyhow, it was more one of the more like strength based, like full body movement sort of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, we use the straight leg raise a lot, and and it, I mean, for the guys, yeah. I mean, we just did it with the entire so six teams in this hockey organization. They're the highest level hockey players in this area, mm -hmm. and the average straight leg raise is probably 50 or 60 degrees. Right, versus 90. So like versus you're, you're laying on the ground, it's straight leg, you know, the, the your leg, raised leg is straight up in the air. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you see that with these, with the higher end? Like you can have a really talented athlete who's, especially with the guys, I think you'd see this, but like can't touch their toes, like yeah. by any means, like, you yeah. know, can't squat at all and then still are amazing. Yeah, and I don't want any of my athletes to be overly flexible. Like I, that's why I say ninety degrees is kind of the minimum I like to see for that straight leg raise. Because, and you don't need to be much beyond that either. Because 
if you can get that, you're you're decreasing your incidence of back and knee issues by quite a lot by just right. having that that mobility there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I always like, and I obviously a lot of the athletes I see are cycling uh, based, and it's always amazing to me that people like you can't get to that ninety degrees yet. That's like that's the pedal stroke basically, right? Like, mm. and everyone wants to have their handlebars as low as they can for aerodynamics, right. but you can't get your legs straight you know, to 90 yeah. degrees. So basically you're touching your toes on your bike thousands of times. So and then you're wondering you why you have back pain or yeah. whatever, right? Or why you're getting saddle sores because you're rocking side to side. And yeah, it's just, it's not a solution, but it's a good indication at yeah. least that you'll be able to move through that. Yeah, it's, I think that's a good benchmark for, for people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. So on that note, we're sort of into back pain um, and through that, which so we talked about the straight leg raise is something for maybe for a cyclist. Um, if you had someone, a client, and let's maybe talk, let's even stick on the younger athlete thing again, because you sort of are doing a lot of that right now. If you had a, a child who was, you know, track and field type thing, and they were having uh, back pain, what what would you be looking for when they first came in? So certainly we look at mobility, uh, especially hip mobility, mm-hmm. hip, you know, knee ankle mobility, lower chain mobility. So. Can they achieve, like we do the Thomas test to look at hip flexors, so that's where you lay on the edge of the table and let your leg fall Mm -hmm. um, to see if you have hip extension. Because if you don't have, if you're track and field and you're running, exact same thing with on the bike, and you can't let your leg hang over the edge of the table at least 10 degrees, Mm -hmm. then every time you are striding in your sprint, you're pulling on your low back. So right off the bat, and that's a big one for my skiers and my hockey players too, back issues because they're tight through their hip flexors or psoas muscle, it attaches right on your lumbar spine. So if you're tight there and you're in a flexion sport like skiing or hockey mm-hmm. and you're not stretching out that hip, it, it a lot of times it tightens up and it'll pull right on that lumbar spine. And if it's tighter on one side versus the other, it pulls you out of alignment and it can be it can sure. cause a lot of problems. Um, straight leg raise, obviously, we already talked about. So looking at front and back, but also looking at glute mobility, internal, external rotation of the hip, looking mm-hmm. at that. Um, and then certainly looking at stability. So looking at, again, how they move, how they squat, how they lunge, how, yeah. how their body stacks up and making sure there's appropriate stability, you know, with their feet, are they pronating? And so if they're pronating, their knees are falling in and then that's pulling yeah. up the chain. So those would be kind of the main things sure. you would look at right off the bat. I mean, I'm fortunate here that we have a great therapy team um, with our chiropractor, Greg Sturge, and our, our uh, physiotherapist, Laura Powers, and, and Kelly Parr, our athletic therapist. And I would typically refer on to them because they have, I, I can do those things, but they have even a better eye than I do. And yeah. I would have them screen them out, and that's exactly where they would go when they would look at those. Especially teams. once we're having pain, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Awesome. <clears throat> Um, I think that makes sense. The single leg stance is probably, you know, I think you touched on the alignment and stuff, and that's definitely with the runners is probably a place to look. Um, so we talked a bit about testing and stuff. You're doing large groups here uh, at the gym, um, working with a couple different leagues and teams and stuff. Um, are you seeing any sort of trends or interesting things when you're looking at groups of athletes like that now? Like you're getting a lot of data points. Yeah, um, I would say yes, and, and we're doing different sports and different athletes, so you see different things typically. Um, as a general rule, kids nowadays have missed the 
the same training we got when we were kids with gymnastics. So kids don't know how to fall to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. So whether you're falling off a bike, you're falling on your skis, you're on a snowboard, whatever, you're in hockey and you're getting hit, they don't know like tumbling. How to, how to land, how to roll on a shoulder versus hitting your head, you know, how to protect themselves when they fall. It's not an instinct because they didn't learn it because they don't do gymnastics in school anymore. Mm-hmm. We grew up when we were kids. We yeah. did we somersault and cartwheels and you did pummel horse and did the uneven bars. And sure. unless someone's parents are actually driving them and paying for them to go do gymnastics, yeah. they've missed those skills in that window, the kinesthetic sense of your body in space. And, you know, that may be part of the whole concussion thing. Um, not knowing how to how to protect yourself a little bit, that may be a small part of why that's such an issue right now. Sure. Yeah, definitely we're having a really, I don't want to say we're having a problem, but like cycling now has so many concussions, like, and not just concussions, but like the chronic, like post-concussion syndrome stuff. Um, and I know hockey's, you know, or at least mm-hmm. has a few popular mm-hmm. cases with that. Um, would you say you're seeing more of that across your radar now too with con- concussions? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, um, the other thing is when, when we were kids, like we drove all the way to Florida without a seatbelt on in the car, mm-hmm. like we rode our bikes without helmets. Yeah. So kids are super protected now in everything they do. So they, they feel almost invincible, I think. And so you let your, you open yourself up to, right. like if I'm riding my bike with no helmet when I was a kid with my big banana seat. I'm maybe not going to try and do that front flip off the jump. I'm going to like taper it down just a little bit because I know I have to make a smart, informed decision to protect myself. You were raised with like that there was consequences to certain things. A little bit more, right? So you plunk a helmet on someone's head. Well, your brain still rattles in your skull, even though you got a helmet on, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's a little bit of that. And the more we protect, the more we don't, you know, protect with external equipment, the less we think we need to protect ourselves with our decision making and our body position sure. and I coach kids hockey and the number of kids I see skate straight into the boards to get a puck versus angling themselves in right. you lose an edge and you fall you know in yeah. the boards if you're angled in you hit your shoulder versus straight ahead you yeah like how it's being approached yeah so it's yeah I, I don't know the answer but those are kind no of one, like, no one does yeah it's really really crazy like there's but, so many elements that could yeah. be part of it. Yeah. But the kinesthetic sense, I think, is a big one. And that that ability to, you know, you make a decision, bad decision or you lose your balance to be able to recover from that, whether it's recovery or you know you're going down, which I did about almost a month ago on my bike, a huge somersault right. crash. I just, I landed on my rib, not my head. I don't know if that was, like, I, I didn't think of anything at the time. Yeah. I just, you know. I even wonder if there's something to, like, not... Like, if you hit your head, like, when you're younger, whether, like, there's some protective effect, maybe? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Or just, like, so even on the same, like, what, what what if we think, they're not, like, crazy, like, crashes or, like, concussions, but what if you're just getting more jostling from playing all the time, right? Like, how many times, you know, if you go and you're tumbling at gymnastics, like, you probably, like, get a shock mm-hmm. probably every time you're doing it. Mm-hmm. But not major, right? And I wonder if there's something to that, like, similar to what you're seeing with a helmet, like, everything's so protected until it's like really traumatic like you wonder if like your brain's not used to getting jostled all the time or something right and that's Maybe. just Absolutely. theory i developed i'll trademark it but yeah 
Yeah. Like you just put kids in a thing and just shake, shake them. them. Shake them when they're... Yeah, like every... This kid, you know, the, the kids that were testing, they'll have like, you know, they'll be in a vibration machine because mm-hmm. they couldn't possibly go out and play all day or something. Well, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They can be on their iPads and be shaking. Yeah. Yeah, so like leading into that topic then, um, you have your own kids and like certainly we here at the gym have, you know, programming, several different types of programming for kids and it seems... Like that, just unstructured play, you know, you're talking about gymnastics and the time to do gymnastics in gym class, but also that like building forts, riding your bike wherever you want, just be back for dinner type time. Um, That seems to be decreasing all the time. Um, So how do you combat that with your own kids then to keep them moving? Well, it's, and I think a little bit of the challenge is a lot of families have both parents working. And I know it's not the way it's meant to be. Raising kids with both parents working is tough, right? And um, we've been able to, with our kids, sort of balance out um, between the two of us to always kind of, for the most part, have somebody around. And I think a lot of what's fallen by the wayside is the parents are, it's the parents. Our lifestyles are so busy that it's easy to plunk a kid on an iPad while you're making dinner instead of going out and throwing a ball with them because you're so busy from getting home from work and you're trying to, like a lot of the onus has to go back on the parents, to be quite honest. Yeah. And um, and it's a constant, like I run my own business, I have a busy life, and but trying to be in the backyard and spending time with your kids and um, we're reading a book right now, the Mathony, um Project or something it's called, and it's a baseball coach who created his own baseball league and he created it around bringing up good individuals um, who listen, have respect, and all these types of things. And as soon as a parent complains or says, you know, Johnny needs to move up in the batting order, they're off the team. They're out, they're out of the whole league. No, there's no, you know. So he's created this whole thing. And one of his big things and reasons for it, he played in the major leagues. One of his reasons for success was his parents. He said his dad drove was a truck driver. He used to drive 12 hours, five days in a row, he'd come home always had time to throw the ball in the backyard. He said his mom used to chase him around the bases, like they used to play these little games. And my son and I do that. We have these little wiffle balls, and some days I do not want to do it. I'm exhausted, no, and, but he loves it. And it's competitive, and we're like, you know, like sometimes it turns into him throwing the ball at me because he's mad, or I hit the grand slam over the fence, or he does, or whatever. And But it's stuff like that that <clears throat> for, you know, and again, I'm not trying to, our, our intention is not for our kids to make the major leagues, but to be good, right. well-rounded kids. But there's so much competition now with the screen time and video games. And my kids have iPads and that technology, and we think they need to learn how to use it, and it's important. But it's, um, you know, with sports, it's easy to get our kids outside. Um, but the unstructured play, like climbing a tree or like my daughter will go out and play on the swings and she has her little hanging swing thing. She does her little flips and whatever and the trampoline and that kind of thing. But you know, if the stuff is not there for them, they're not going out and building or making up games. Kids aren't, you know, we have some friends whose kids are like that. Very few though. Yeah, and they need to be like, you, you almost need to facilitate that early, I think, where you go into the forest and like, all we have is sticks, but we're like building, yeah. you know, an imaginary world or whatever, yeah. right? Like, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, it is a challenge for sure. We didn't have that. There was nothing to do. You could watch Three's Company after school 
and then you went out and played because there was nothing else to do. There's no, no like I remember the first video. It's probably game. probably more fun to go outside and play those video games. Yeah. Right? The little ding ding. So would you say that it helps, especially as your kids are getting older, you must find that that's, while it's tough after a long day and stuff, it must also become, like, that's your activity then a lot of times too, right? Like, you can start integrating that. Uh, like, we mountain bike with our kids. Yeah. I, you know, my son, actually, I can get a workout doing that, but no, I try not to make that my exercise. I try to have my own time for exercise as well. Right. But certainly that's our active... But you're playing, like, are they play. doing volleyball and stuff, or is that... Yeah, yeah we, we have group Like, they'll come friends. to the Friday yeah. stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the kids will mix in and... And so that's, I mean, that's, to me, that's part of it, right? Like, you're getting your volleyball time, and also social time, and they're seeing how, like, sport and movement can be For integrated. Sure. For sure, that. absolutely. We do the same with tennis. We'll hit with them a little bit, and then they go off and they'll play together, and then they'll go in the pool, and we'll keep... We'll, then we'll play our game. So sure. we try to, yeah, you try to model it a little bit, too. And really, it's the only way... You can do it right like there's not I think so I think yeah. the model of the like train for a triathlon full time you know morning workouts lunch workouts after mm-hmm. workouts and then still trying to do all that like that's a recipe for things to go sideways yeah. right? like that gets yeah. really hard yeah um well, we, well, I was gonna say we just saw that study this morning talking about how even like, oh, people yeah. who train need to have like, well, a lot it was, more active So this time. latest study, yeah. I'll link to it, but they, it came out and they were looking at, so there's the 150 minutes of activity a week or whatever, yeah. uh, <laughs> as, as like a minimum. But now with activity trackers, I guess they're saying that like they actually need to revisit what they're recommending because what people are counting isn't like enough, it's basically. Enough. So like just getting 150 minutes on your watch isn't necessarily <laughs> what they were meant by those mm-hmm. those things. So they're like the number they're talking is like a thousand mm-hmm. minutes, mm-hmm. which is a fair bit. Um, but if you're outside playing with your kid and then well, and again, like around. you've already like you're talking. I think before we started about gardening for two hours, and mm-hmm. then you were just you know you have you're lucky in some ways that some, a lot of your job is you know active-ish. Mm-hmm. You're running around picking up stuff you know in the gym for clients and stuff, and you know moving a bit with them. So, but yeah, it's definitely if you have a commute and a desk job like that's that's tough. But well, we uh, my son his science fair project was a Fitbit challenge. Which job is the most active? So we use some of my clients here that have desk jobs, and they, in the day, were doing 3,000 steps the entire day. Yeah. And that was because they were, they were basically walking from yeah. their car to their desk and sitting for the whole day. Yeah. Those people who are clients here, so they have an idea of like, yeah. being healthy. There's some interest in it, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, you know, it really has to be mindful. you got to be mindful to actually get those kind of minutes that, that mm-hmm. you need to be getting. Yeah. So we'll segue that into, so if we have these people who, you know, they want to be able to come to Friday volleyball and they want to maybe go for a mountain bike ride or a hike up the mountain or come to a strength class or go swimming or, you know, not get hurt playing with their kids soccer or something. What would you, you know, if someone's coming to the gym, what would be some key movements you'd want to be including in their routine? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, these people are our typical clients for sure. Um, and that's what we really try to promote here is that people don't come here because they like going to the gym. They come to Active Life because they actually are training for mm-hmm. being, being able to play tennis or mountain bike or road bike or whatever. Maybe not at the highest level, but they want to still incorporate that Active Life. No, they want to do it. And I mean, we'll, we'll get a picture or get a picture off of you of the wall of... What is it called? Is there a name for it? The wall of success, the wall of fame. And so it's all the different people who have come through the gym over the years and the things they've done. So there's like Everest is on there. There's 
mountain bikers and runners yeah. and lots of there's hockey. There's World Cup skiers, but then there's also a woman who had a serious head injury who never thought she'd ski again after she skied her first run at Blue Mountain. Yeah. And that's like one of the, my proudest things. For like, sure. It's amazing. Yeah. So, um, so to answer your question, um, and this is a generalization because we assess people before we get them rolling into things. So we have, we know if they've had any injury right. and if they need something in specific, but the thing that I find that people forget about that causes them their injuries when they're doing these other activities is they don't train the things that you can't see in the mirror. So everyone goes to the gym and they train what you can see in the mirror. They do bicep curls, they do crunches or planks for the front of their core, they do squats or lunges for their quads. They don't train the, the opposite movements. So rowing movements, like work for their scapular stabilizers if they're in their back, um, glutes, hamstrings, calves, like they're not, they're not strengthening those areas. So there's imbalances because naturally we are typically stronger in our chest than our back. Right. So, um, those are the main things that I think we incorporate in that people would do. Like, I know people would not do Romanian deadlifts unless we tell them to do them in our, in yeah. our class. That would, our have been, that would have been one of the first things I said, too. Yeah, absolutely. And rowing-type movements. Like, those are those are kind of the keys that that um, we like to incorporate. You know, obviously, overhead presses. And we still do things like squatting and lunging and pressing. Sure. But I try to make sure we balance those things out with. You know, other things and pull up chin up type idea, or even just holds where they're engaging lats. Just hang in something. Yeah, for you know whether you're playing tennis or whatever. Like, there's still going to be you know if I have a tennis player coming to me, I'm going to give them some specific things for their shoulders that are more for their sport mm-hmm. than I would if someone's coming that's riding bikes. But for the most part, I think it's that is we we don't train what we can't. Yeah, see. we forget about that, but like those are the muscles that you need. You know, you're talking about the girls kicking, like that's single leg stance, like you're getting into glutes and stuff there. Um, you know, we talked to Leslie last week and, you know, she's talking rock climbing. And so that's grip strength and pulling, Right. you know, is quite important. Hanging. Um, pretty much everyone we've talked to has talked about grip strength being important to, you know, mountain biking, rock climbing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all these different things. Um, you know, even like your hockey, baseball type stuff, right? Absolutely. Like you've got a lot yeah. of stuff. Well, and, and a lot of the lifts that we do with the bar, that's the developing grip strength, too, deadlifts and things like that. Yeah. It helps to develop that, too. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, trying to think if I want to go anything different. Um, why don't we go into, so if someone wanted to, you know, be going down a similar career path to you, they maybe want to have dreams of owning a gym, um, you know, and the first step to that would obviously be becoming sort of personal trainer, kinesiologist. You know that sort of thing. Um, do you have a recommendation as far as courses or certifications? Yeah, um, I mean, regardless, I think first you need to develop a, a really strong base of general knowledge with anatomy, physiology, the basics um, to make sure you have a solid base, nutrition, that kind of thing. Um, whether you go and you do like I did human kinetics at Guelph, and that program. Um, provided me with a good base in all those things, a scientific base in those things. Um, and from there, I think you need to find what you're passionate at, whether you're really passionate about working with athletes or working with kids or working with seniors, you need to find your niche because you can't be good at everything. And so my niche was, or I guess still is athletes and, and kids, that sort of that group. 
and uh, that was what my training was in. And I've been able to imprint some of that model on my other clients because they're athletic. Uh, I don't work a ton with seniors typically, but I have then gone and I've brought in someone that's an expert at working with seniors and an expert that's working, uh, someone that's an expert at working with cyclists, because that's not my expertise. I could probably muddle my way through it, mm -hmm. but I found my niche, I stick with my niche and with the teams and all that type of thing. And then surround yourself with people that are super talented, educated, and, and passionate about what they do. Yeah. And just, and then, you know, have each other's backs and bring them into the fold. And I think if you want to start a career in this industry or if you want to try and develop a facility, that's where you got to go. If there's a hierarchy, you know, I, I really feel like everybody that's here is on an equal playing field from the people that teach yoga to myself to my my therapist, like I don't feel like anyone's at the top of that. We're all equal, we all learn from each other. And I refer and, and ask advice from mm -hmm. each of the people that work with me. And I think that's the key. If you think that you're the top of the, the pyramid in, in your facility, uh, I think you're missing a big, a big chunk and you're not empowering people to their strengths. Mm -hmm. So I think that's- I think that's good advice. I mean, to, I mean even just figuring out if you like uh, anatomy and physiology because like yeah. I know definitely there was people in Ken when I went through that that ruined them like yeah. they couldn't slash wouldn't you know get interested in it right and like you're not gonna go far in anatomy unless you can like really get psyched on that because yeah. it's a really monotonous it is like, very monotonous there's a lot to be learned um, but definitely having a base in that lets you <laughs> you know you can say oh there's this exercise I want to do and like even if I don't know it then like you can show it to me quick and like this is what we're working on and then say mm -hmm. okay perfect let, let's go do that right and yeah. you're able to learn and adapt I think a lot quicker once you know that right like whatever course you go to or whatever yeah. you know, go to a functional movement screen thing like it makes sense you've seen a lunge before oh okay no we're looking for this in the yeah. lunge right so I think um, yeah I think so the other part of your your question about the certifications was I, I like my coaches, especially the ones that are working with athletes, to have the uh, strength and conditioning certification. I like the NSCA, which that's is out of the state. CSCS? The CSCS, yeah. yeah. And uh, I think that's a good one because it's quite a comprehensive exam. Mm -hmm. And you need to know a lot of things about a lot of things. And I think, so that's one of the better ones. And there's a practical component to it. Um, there's a couple in Canada too. The CPTN, the Canadian Personal Trainers Network, mm -hmm. is is a decent one as well. Um, and the the Canadian Society of Exercise Physiologists, and that's the one that I got years ago. And uh, it allows me to have an accredited testing facility if I wish to do so. So we can have national teams coming in. And I haven't decided to go that route, but that's also another good one. But you need to want to do that. that so it's pretty serious, but it's a good one for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a good yeah. one. Um, the other, one last thing I would say is that uh, you need to make sure that you like actually working with people mm -hmm. and that you don't want to be a trainer because you want to get buff yourself. Because, But really, a lot of people think that. They think, oh, I just work out all day and I work out with my clients. Yeah. And that's not what it's about. You know, It's about motivating your clients and there's a lot of mental and psychology involved with it and I think that's important to understand that and ahead of time. If you're not into that, then... Yeah, the Maybe mental stuff else. and the personal stuff is definitely, Big. yeah, yeah. To, especially like to be successful in it, but yeah. then also just to get through without going crazy, right? Yeah. So would you recommend, especially someone who's more in high school, university, definitely get in 
and you know volunteer totally. work with teams work in totally. the gym work in do a co-op exercise or like physical therapy sort yes. of setting like there's usually lots of Absolutely. most places are looking for some help yeah we've they, had lots of co-op students here and it gives them a good sense of oh I don't think I want to do this or oh I really like it I like people and I've enjoyed yeah. that setting and yeah yeah and I think that's people mm-hmm. are sometimes hesitant to do stuff for free like that but geez if you spend you know a summer in a place like this and just picked everyone's brain like you'd get so many workout ideas but then also a lot of practical but then also get an idea like I like working with this client or I just hate gyms completely (laughs) I'm going to go into nursing or something right yeah huh awesome um do you have anything else Molly yeah uh I think last one is really just how you balance staying in shape with everything that you're doing so I think the key is to develop is to get a network of healthy active friends honestly because you need the support of your friends just for raising kids and relationship and all that sure. kind of stuff. But I don't have time to go and sit and have coffee. So we always say like sometimes our Sunday morning mountain bike ride is maybe not the most intense like in the world. It's not race pace, but we're, we're chit-chatting and we're catching up and the drive up there or whatever. Um, same with snowshoeing in the winter, like creating that network of friends that you shoot a text out and you end up with three people that want to go play volleyball or want to go for a mountain bike ride or whatever. And and I think that that is like by far the key to the whole thing. Makes it easy, right? Absolutely. Um, I think that's great advice and it fits a lot with what we're seeing with the raising of the kids, right? Now you mm -hmm. have people to help you with your kids while you go and maybe exercise, but also you can go exercise with them, right? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think not being too hard on yourself. Like I know... Like, for instance, this morning I wanted to go for a run, but I had to weed in my garden. I felt to have a birthday party or a party for my daughters and a school. So, you know, I was bummed that I didn't get my run, but I'll figure out something I can do. Even 20 minutes is better than nothing. And I've gotten better at that in the last 10 years, too, with having kids. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, taking it for whatever we can some days. Some days I've got time to do my 10K run. Other days it's 25 minutes, and that's okay, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, balance. Um, uh, also, remember to work in and not just out because that's the part I was missing through the mid, the early part of my 30s is, you know, pushing, pushing, pushing and you got little kids and you're rushing around and trying to fit in workouts and now I make time, I do for sure once a week if not twice of my Pilates class and that's, you know, lots of breath work and you get sort of some of the... Uh, the cortisol levels lowered and, and working on all the little fine muscles as well mm-hmm. and I think that that part is really important too and it's a hard one because it's the first thing to go when you run out of time you put your shoes on and go for a run but you won't make an hour to go to yoga or do your Pilates class right. so I think that's that's really important um, and uh, and my last thing is my, the food thing um, as far as trying to keep a bit of balance with nutrition and food when you're busy I think is I have the 8 out of 10 rule if it's not an 8 out of 10 with regards to treats or indulgences, don't eat it. Don't eat the cookie if it's not your 8 or 9 out of 10. Don't eat the dessert if it's not your 8 or 9 out of 10. It's oh, not worth it. Yeah. So I'm really stuck with that. And that's, you know, I have cherry cheesecake. If there's cherry cheesecake and I'm somewhere for dinner, I'm going to have a piece. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. I'm going to enjoy it because I don't eat dessert very often. Right. I don't eat ice cream at home. I don't, you know. Yeah. But that's my, that's my 10 out of 10. So that's my... You know, that's my thing. Yeah, the worth it sort of diet, basically. Yeah. yeah. 
Awesome. All right. I think we can probably leave it there. And yeah, thank you, Sarah, for coming in. There's a ton of information all at once, but I think it's all good. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That was fun. All right, so that was our show. We hope you learned a bunch from Sarah, either for yourself or for your kids, or hopefully both. Um, so yeah, get out there and uh, start playing some Frisbee or hitting the volleyball back and forth or something. Uh, but before you do that, check out theconsummateathlete.com for all of the show notes and other fun stuff. And we will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.